Good day and happy new year. Welcome to season two of the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for the people of the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. On today's episode, Dave talks trees, food security, and the importance of community with urban orchardist Novella Carpenter. Novella shared how the pandemic has led her back to the soil. She shares that she believes we have entered the era of pandemics. Can reforestation and habitat protection help? They discuss herd immunity through vaccination and infection. She encourages everyone to stay connected with plant communities. They agree that the world is ready for futuristic change. Welcome to the Pandemic Show. Today, I'm talking with Novella Carpenter from Oakland, California. How are you today, Novella? Doing great. I know we were going to talk a little bit earlier today, but you were out doing some pruning in an orchard. Yeah, so my garden, which I used to call Ghost Town Farm, is now under the, I don't know if I want to use the word tutelage, but it's being stewarded by some young people. They haven't actually gotten to prune fruit trees before. And I'm like, you know, it's January, let's get in there. And so we went out to the orchard and I just gave them some basic tips for orchard maintenance. And it's just so cool to see like the next generation getting excited about growing food. That's one of the things that gives me a lot of hope, despite the adversity of the pandemic, the young people, they got good heads, heads on their shoulders. They're looking for opportunity. They're not afraid to work. They want to learn and they want to get their hands in the soil. Absolutely. And they also see that no one's going to help them if the S really goes down. <laughs> right? Alliance, yeah. And so they're like, oh, well, I better have these skills. I better know how to do homesteading and grow my own food. But we're getting into this moment of basically we are all, it's like Katrina for the entire nation, right? Where we are being left behind. No one's going to take care of you except your neighbors and local local people and so we, we're starting to really see that and for me it's really interesting because I think for you know I was into urban farming and growing my own food it was sort of a political theoretical idea and then with the pandemic all of a sudden you're like I can't go to the grocery store so what am I going to do that creates this new thing that young people see and they're like oh I got to get on this train right now yeah, it's it's good that we can look at the generation behind us and feel good about the future. I know that's given me a lot of comfort at times when I've had the pandemic blues. Yeah. What was your life like in Oakland before the pandemic? It's been a mixed bag. I moved to Oakland from Seattle in 2003 and I started an urban farm there in Oakland with the help, with lots of neighbors and different friends and So, you know, I was growing my own food and raising a lot of animals. So I raised turkeys for Thanksgiving. I had milk goats. Oh, wait, hold on. My kid's yelling about her iPad. Hold on. (laughs) You were raising turkeys. You were raising milk goats. Yeah, I had pigs at one point. I was really doing this whole local eating, growing my, trying to really only grow my own food and, and raise my own vegetables and fruit trees and all these things. I planted 30 fruit trees over the 15 years that we were at, at Ghost Town. 
And, and then for me, our landlord died. When he died, the person who had inherited his house, she was like, I'm going to sell the house. And this is the craziness of living in the Bay Area. She's going to make a million dollars selling this house. So she really wants us to leave. We weren't evicted, but we had to leave. We moved out two years ago. And what's interesting about that is that then I moved away from the land. So I, because we had the, our house was basically, we were renting a house and next door was the garden and the farm and everything. And so for the last two years, interestingly, I had kind of stopped doing a lot of urban homesteading. I had, I moved to a duplex with a giant driveway that's got concrete in it. You know, I don't have chickens anymore. I don't even have bees anymore. And so when the pandemic hit, it was really kind of that moment where I was like, oh man, I had been planning for this the whole time. And now <laughs> this, I don't even have the things that I used to have, you know? And so it was really a reckoning for me and a reminder, a really important reminder for me about how important that is. And so I started to look for ways to start integrating urban homesteading back into my life as just a person living in an apartment, right? So that included getting, buying stock tanks and filling them with soil and growing vegetables in this concrete driveway. It involved, you know, making friends with this lady who has a goat that I can go milk, <laughs> you know, like really opening up my community in this really, really awesome way. Oh, wow. I went to, through something similar. I'd been renting a farm and after I visited you in 2013, that. 2013, it really blew up with goats and cows and pigs oh, and whatnot. Wow. Oh my God. And then, and then I, it got put up for sale for big bucks and I had to move. It is what it is, but it's painful when you think you have a forever goat and then you end up eating it. Oh God, really? Wait, hold on. Sorry. We got some technical difficulties. I'll press pause. So yeah, I know it can take a while to kind of get back to agriculture after you go through a move, especially since you lay your roots down in one place and then takes a while to, for roots to break down in the new location, but it sounds like your roots are starting to get deeper into your new community. They are. And I mean, I think it's that, that's kind of the thing about the pandemic or anything, any tragedy, right? It's, it kind of, it just, everything's burnt and you have to rise up with the new knowledge that you had already accumulated. You still have that knowledge. And it reminds me of that movie, The Garden. Did you ever see that? No, the garden already. Check it out. It's about the the South Central Garden in LA, which I think it it was around right after Rod, the Rodney King, you know, happenings. They basically designated this huge garden space for residents of South Central LA, and people showed up. They garden farmed hardcore there, and then it turned out the developer ended up buying the land. And so the movie is about him trying to evict the people out of that garden and their farm. And it's just like, it totally makes me cry every time I see it. And, but then at the end, I mean, not to spoil it, spoiler alert, they show the farmers and they've all moved on and built on those skills that they learned at the South Central Garden to become farmers in different places, you know? So you can take the land away, but the people still have that information and knowledge. And, you know, that's really kind of empowering, you know? That's a really positive way to look at it because it's easy to get caught in the kind of the sorrow of the moment of the transition and the change, because it is such big change, especially when you're running your fingers through the soil and you're that connected. 
Yeah, so, I know. Right. You found that the pandemic has brought you back to your roots in homesteading and permaculture. And now you've connected with the next generation who wants to learn. You're going back to your orchard then and trimming some of your 30 plus fruit trees. Yeah, the trees are, I've kept them really small because I have this whole concept of like growing little fruit trees so you don't have to get up on a ladder, but also so you can have vegetable beds growing too, you know, so the trees aren't going to totally take over the space. And so, you know, there's a lot of roots. We have a lot of cherry trees. There's two sweet cherry trees and a couple plum trees. And, you know, the plums really send out those, those root suckers. And so it's just a lot of it is just going to be like literally getting on the ground and pruning out the root suckers because I used to have chickens underneath the trees and they would peck at all those roots. I never had to worry about those. And so it's interesting to see the chickens are gone. You know, there's no animals there. It's all just farm and trees. So it's, it's really, it's really interesting to see how that lack of a chicken really does affect the orchard too. One species can have a huge impact in a little ecosystem like that it's yeah it's fascinating yeah so what what would the yield be on one of your shorter fruit trees and and i identify with what you're saying because i've been associated with two orchards the first one was at the point where we had an arborist kind of knock it down a bit and it was a little bit more manageable but the one where i'm at now it's just it's maybe older than i am and morels grow underneath the trees and whatnot but there's so many apples. There's such an abundance of harvest, yeah. but I can't get them till they hit the ground because I'm I don't get the big ladder out like I'm exactly. cleaning the eaves troughs. Well, right, and I mean I think that there's that thing where yeah, it's a situation when you have these huge backyard trees and you can't harvest the fruit. And in urban environments, fruit fall means rats, right? I started working at Biofuel Oasis, which is this urban farming store that I that I helped start in back in 2000 and four. And then I, after I had my baby, I left and then now I'm coming back nine years later. And it's so funny because the same things can happen where people come into the store and they're like, do you have an apple press for rent? Because I have like yeah. 10,000 apples and <laughs> I press them. And I'm just like, we don't have one, but we should get one. And you know, so I think having too many apples could be a good problem. I have this idea of starting a community apple press which is something that they do in Sebastopol. They've been doing it for four years, five years now. It's called the Free Apple Press. Of course, canceled because of COVID this year. But it's a real community activity. People show up and they, pro- they pour their apples into the hopper. They get the juice. It's fun. And so I kind of want to start doing something like that too. I mean, I think this is like a good thing about the pandemic too. Another like a silver lining is that, you know, you see how not having the community not being able to do the free apple press makes you want it even more right it makes you think oh god when we can get out of this and what what are the amazing things that i'm going to do to create Mm -hmm. community and so that that was one of them but to answer your question the apple trees like the smaller apple trees you know they're like maybe eight feet tall and we get a huge amount of fruit from them at least like three lugs of apples from those trees. So they can be, it can be very productive. Now I'm not good with Imperial cause I'm a Canadian. Would a lug be like a bushel? Oh yeah. A bushel is it's a lugs more like two bushels. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. A lug is two bushels. It's good to diversify my standard units of measurement. <laughs> and as a lifelong learner, I really appreciate uh, now being able to 
measure apple harvest with lugs. <laughs> I think I just made that up though, David. So don't use okay. it um, in, you know, professional company. Well, I'm just talking about, you know, there's milk crates that are like bigger yeah. than a milk crate. They're like, that you can, that you can put your records in. Yeah. 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 That's what I think a lug is, you know, okay. so, a big tote. Yeah. Big tote. Yeah. And um, I would really like, I'd really just like to thank you for your patience. I know we have a culture and language difference between Canada and the United States. And I think it's great how we're working through our differences peacefully with communication. Yeah, I have no problem with your use of use and, you know, other things. <laughs> and then your peaches and plums, what kind of harvest would you get? Well, okay. So we don't have peaches. We have a nectarine and those are more like the nectarine is more like the precious fruit that you're so excited about. We probably only, you know, I, that tree is, that tree has, I think we get probably, let's see, you know, that's, that would be like, you know, I would say maybe 50 nectarines off that tree. Delicacy. Um, plum tree is incredible. We have, well, we have a bunch of different kinds of plums. So we have a damson plum, which, do you know what those are? No, but I'll look them up later. They're really cool. They're like these blue, I can't remember the gene, the species name now, but they're like these British jelly plums and they're like little circles and they're bright blue with a little downy must on them. And they make the best jam of your life. Like so good. And then I have European plums and a, you know, weeping, which is interesting. That's interesting to prune a weeper, a weeping Santa Rosa. And we get like more plums than we could ever eat on that Santa Rosa plum. Yeah. Like sharing is caring. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plums. When did the pandemic start for you? For me, it started in March. They shut down the schools just before St. Patrick's Day. It started off with a, a shortage of PPE. The pandemic hit and there was sort of this grappling and being like, I don't know. We don't know what's happening, but like, let's keep going to school and all these things. And I remember my friend and I, who we shared taking our kids to school, we were like, we shouldn't send them to school, right? And all of a sudden I had that sense of, I am responsible for deciding these things, right? And I remember writing to her teacher, my daughter's teacher and saying, I don't think I'm gonna send Francis to school anymore because I think there's a pandemic. <laughs> and she wrote back and she said, thank you, you know, like, Yes, that's right. We can't wait for officials to tell us that we have to do things. We need to start acting now. And I remember something that stood out for me was I remember someone posting or emailing a list that I'm a part of the Bay Area Homestead hookup list. And they were like, I'm going to start making masks for people. And, and then someone wrote back and they're like, I heard masks don't work. And you know, this is really, it was a debate. I'm glad you brought that up. It was a point of debate because maybe the particles are like gathering on the mask and then that gets you sick. So even those like basic kind of stuff that we know now is what you're supposed to do was felt like it was really up for debate. That was a huge issue. I remember just being really confused about it. Should I be wearing a mask or not? And then I was wearing a mask for a long time. That's a respirator mask, you know, cause I have it for smoke and allergies here. 
And then finally I went, I remember going to the farmer's market and there was a, like a, like, I guess I'm a visual learner. I needed to see pictures yeah. and they had pictures of like, these are the acceptable masks. And I was wearing one that wasn't acceptable. And I felt shame. I was like, I've been wearing this and I didn't know. person. Well, I really connected with you because I started off the, the pandemic in my heavy duty ventilator mask. But then for that exact same consideration that I wasn't being considered of others because I wasn't keeping my moist droplets, I switched to the cloth. But now that I hear there's mutations and different mm -hmm. things like that, I'm wondering if I'm going to scale it up and just put a cloth mask over my exit, my exit breathing or, you know. That's a good idea. It's interesting because you, you think you're doing good by wearing a mask, but then so many of these masks do have valves where their, their cooties are just <laughs> out into the aerosol. Right, right. I mean, it's this whole, and it's a social thing too. And it's so interesting to me, the kind of like what it, virtue, virtue signaling that's happening too, where people are like, well, I'm just not leaving my house and you're just a bitch for like going out and, you know, I go to work. I, I work at, in a garden in the San Francisco and I would, to that, I would be like, I'm outside. It's safe. You know, I have you, it's like interesting because you have to draw your own boundaries. Yeah. And then while you have people that are literally going nuts while they're sitting in their house, you know, feeling very virtuous that they didn't leave their house, but they're going crazy. <laughs> the self-isolation really takes an impact. I've been paying a little, I've been focusing more on what's happening to the seniors in Ontario. Oh. And it's really alarming, the neglect in some of the long-term care facilities. And it shows what a human, what a, a community species we are that left in self-isolation yeah. people's mental health and physical health can really deteriorate yep. uh, quickly. It's a, and it's alarming. It is. I teach online and it's like, it was slowly killing me. Right. Where I'm like, okay guys, are you there? Okay. We're going to watch this video of a seed germinating. And it felt really like alien to me. And, but then I get to go to the garden and when I'm there, I would actually meet students. That work is essential. You know, it's not like I was meeting to like discuss some philosophy. It was like, yo. Food security. Food, food security food is security. essential. <clears throat> and I, I know even in Ontario in the spring, it was a debate. Was the provincial government, which is similar to a state government, going to allow community gardens to open? And then they did because it's outside, because it's easy to physical distance, and because food is absolutely essential. Exactly. And it's interesting that people will even feel guilty working on their own food security, having to cooperate to, to have a bountiful harvest. I think we've learned as the pandemic's progressed how to interact safely and we're understanding our enemy, and the enemy is COVID-19 and misinformation. Yes. Yeah. And those indoor spaces where you're just swapping things, you know, but yeah, I remember that you were asked like, what was a moment that you really remember? And I remember <laughs> before they announced like the lockdown in California, I remember going to the garden where I teach and I was like, just grabbing as many plants as I could, because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to cross the bridge. You know, yeah. I live in Oakland, I have to cross the bridge. I'm like, they may shut down that bridge. I may not be able to get back here. And I remember there were some guys from food services there, like buddies of mine, Sam. And I was like, Sam, do you want a tomato plant? <laughs> you know, cause it's like March. It's like in California, we've got our tomato starts already. And I was like giving those guys like as many plants as possible. Because so nothing like, would go to waste. 
Yeah. So nothing would go to waste. And also they would have food security. And I just felt like, and we did that too. We put free plants outside and I gave plants to the neighbors and yeah, it just became this feeling of we got to do this for ourselves. The food security dynamic is the real sign of hope that you might be seeing as we progress through this pandemic with lots going on in 2021, the new year off to a banger of a start. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the thing that we can kind of focus on and control, right? We can't control an angry mob storming the, you know, Congress, but we can sort of like make connections with the plant community and with our human community and local community to grow food and have food security in these times where nothing feels predictable. It feels like anything could happen at any time. And so these are these ways that you can kind of like get back to those, those roots and feel, you know, I think some of the people here's like, I'm just getting a little psychological, but the people who are storming the Capitol, it's like they, if you think about it, this wouldn't have happened except in a pandemic because people are literally staying at home and all they're doing is they're on the internet reading crazy whack conspiracy theories online and what they should be doing is growing some food outside <laughs> you know good point i think it grounds people i think growing food grounds people you have that sense of what is truly important not you know not even your job or money it's like this it's truly back to the most primitive roots that we have which is commuting with nature and growing our own food agriculture agriculture yep what other pandemics do you think this is illustrating the problems within our society just talking about food security too right you see these lines of cars trying to get the food from the food banks and and a lot of that food is pretty gross because i've gone to some of those events and i'll be like okay you guys are giving me like box macaroni and cheese and these weird fruit juices And I'm like, this is the kind of food that is going to kill us. (laughs) Processed food-like substances. Exactly. And so I'm like, wow, it's great that you're trying to feed people. However, what you're feeding them will make them sicker. And it's like this feedback cycle, right? You eat this crappy food and then you get heart disease, diabetes, and, you know, hypertension. and, And then you get, then you're more susceptible to things like coronavirus, right? So you see the way that's a vicious cycle. Cycle. Yeah. It's really the poverty thing. And also the people who are losing their jobs. And, and I lost part of my job too. I definitely took a major financial hit because my universities are suffering greatly by, by the pandemic. Cause a lot of students are like, I'm not going to pay $40,000 a year to watch you on zoom. (laughs) Which I totally get. Yeah. We're, it seems that we're in a situation where we, we have to make decisions from bad options. Do you think you might have, you or your family or might have had COVID or do you know if you've had COVID? Question. Yes. I mean, here's the deal. I work with college students and I remember in February, one of my students was visibly sweating in class he had a horrible cough and a horrible fever, which he shared, you know, he told us, Oh, I'm so sick. I am sitting right next to him. And I mean, I'm outside, but this is before we were wearing masks and I got hella sick. I had a horrible fever. I had a body ache. I was unable to get out of bed for three days. 
Did I have COVID? I don't know because I didn't have the chest thing. I didn't have the cough, but I did have this really horrible flu, what I thought was a flu at the time. And then Franny got it too. So I don't know, maybe I did. I haven't gotten the antibody test, which will tell you um, apparently because, co- because I belong to Kaiser and they won't do it for any good reason. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you, what are you thinking about the vaccine and what does your community think about the vaccine? I know in Canada, vaccines are being deployed. I want to get the Dolly Parton vaccine. Um, oh yeah, Dolly. Thank, thank goodness we have people like Dolly Parton in the world that are paying it forward and want to help everyone, not just themselves. Yeah. I think that's a real beacon of hope in the pandemic. Yep. But there's this ongoing debate about herd immunity. Yeah. And I like language like herd. It makes me feel like I'm out watching the pasture. But <laughs> do you think we're going to get herd immunity through vaccination or through infection? To me, mm. vaccination seems safer because I don't have to get really sick and I don't have to almost maybe potentially die. Yeah, right? So- yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like my daughter went to a Waldorf school and about half those kids, none of them were vaccinated for anything. Like not even mumps, not even measles whatever. And I remember being like, wow, these people are full on crazy pants and they're not going to get the vaccine. They're not. They think truly that the vaccine is going to cause some problem for them. I think probably what we're going to have is it's going to meet in the middle. I mean, we've already had how many million, 2 million people have had COVID already. So in America. And so I think we're just going to have that. And then plus with the vaccinations, then we'll get herd immunity by, I mean, not herd immunity, but we'll get immunity. But, you know, I'm a little bit worried about the mutations too. It's very troubling. Yeah, it's, that's what we're hearing. Mutations coming from different regions of the world and they have arrived in Canada. The mutations are are concerned. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. People that already had it once can get it again. Right. I noticed one of the changes in my kind of circle is that there's more and more people knowing people that have had it. Uh, I know yeah. I lost, I lost my great aunt to it early on. Oh, and, see. but just when I had my new year's Eve zoom, I realized some friends that I went to, to school with back in the day, they had it, their kids had it. They're still recovering from it. And it was horrible. Wow. So I, when people say that it only kills a few amount of people, I feel like that doesn't capture the, net loss of the sickness and the illness and the misery associated with that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've known people that have had COVID just like, you know, throughout the time. But for me, it's reading the obit in the New York Times. It just kills me every time, you know, because we're talking about and a lot of African-American jazz greats, you know, amazing performers dead. I don't know anybody that's died in my circle of friends and family but to read those obituaries in is just it's just so sad the news hour the pbs news hour every night they do you know a profile of a normal person a normal you know not even a celebrity but just somebody that died from covid and uh, it's just heartbreaking how do you think we're going to come out of this whenever this does run its course I actually don't know. And I, sometimes I wonder if we are ever going to come out of it because I think we are in the age of pandemic. And so, you know, maybe this is just going to be this thing that happens all the time. Like every year we have a situation um, where you can't leave the house. I think we're definitely going to be wearing masks. I don't know about you, but I never got sick since I wore this mask and have only been outside and socially distancing I haven't, I didn't get a flu at all this year. 
I mean, this past year, not at all. So that's incredible to me. And it also makes, I think I should just always wear a mask. I mean, in some ways it's kind of, I'm thinking about it as a very unhygienic situation. You know, I usually ride my BART. I take the train to San Francisco and I just think now, like, we're all sitting there unmasked, breathing each other's air. People are coughing and sneezing. I mean, it's, of course you're going to get sick. So I think I have like a new, a little bit of a germ phobia now that I never had before. And I'm pretty germy. I'm like a kind of a dirty girl. They're going to come up with cooler masks. You know, someone's working on some fashion or you know, something that's really, you know, great. Cause my glasses still fog up when I'm wearing my mask. It's kind of a problem. People are just going to start realizing that they need to, to organize and plan looking toward your neighbors to come up with ways to help each other in real time, you know, not just like next door or on Facebook or something. So really talking to your neighbors and, and trying to make connections with people instead of just living in your house. And, you know, although, I mean, maybe people who are the kind of people that are socially isolating in this super strong way, they may not want to come back out of their house, you know, like they may get very comfortable. And I've heard there are people that are like developing agoraphobia. Now you're so used to being in your house, like sheltering and hiding that you are now fearful of going outside. I think that'll be a problem. That's some other guests on the show have highlighted how will we transition back and will theaters be full right away? Will dance floors be full or will it take people? Like it took us months to transition into masks and physical distancing. Will it take months or years to transition back into large gatherings? One of the things that have come up time and time again is income inequality and problems with income inequality. Yeah. One of the, the, the trends or the things that I've been hearing people talking about are potential wealth taxes and basic incomes. In, in uh, Canada, in the spring, we had a CERB benefit that everyone who lost their job was given $2,000 a month to mm. get through the economy being forced shut down. So it's raised wow. considerations of with automation and all those other things that were taking away jobs before the pandemic, how will we make sure we have a just and equitable society after? Have you heard any talk about basic incomes or wealth taxes? I mean, that was Andrew Yang, you know, the guy that ran for president. That was his whole, one of his major ideas. And, you know, they say with the pandemic, all these kind of futuristic ideas that you were kind of like, maybe in 10 years or five years are happening now. So you and me on this Zoom thing. I mean, it hardly ever happened, but now it's just going to become, we're super used to it and it feels comfortable and we can actually have an effective meeting and an effective discussion together through this platform. So I can see, you know, that was his idea, the futuristic idea of the basic income. And I can see that working, I guess, as more and more things get automated, as you start seeing these driverless cars, there's going to be a push for that too, right? Because you don't want to be in the Uber car with a person. You want to be in the Uber car by yourself (laughs) being shuttled into this, into these places. So I think that it's just going to speed everything up and regulation and questions. People are just going to be like, okay, let's do it. Like just let's allow them to do that. Yeah. And a couple of moments ago, you mentioned that this is like the beginning of the pandemic era. Could you expand on that? Well, I mean, it's just, I was listening to um, the radio and somebody mentioned that and I was like, why is it, why are we in the era of the pandemic? And then I was like, oh my God, 
it started with AIDS. AIDS was a pandemic. It wasn't, it only affected a certain group of people at the beginning, right? So we didn't care as much. And in some ways they tried to do that with this pandemic, like, oh, it's just for old people, like, don't worry. And so what we do is we try to create an other that is going to be affected by the pandemic. But in fact, AIDS was the first of our series of pandemics, SARS, Ebola, you know, you start looking at them and they happen and just, they're not spreading like this one. But who's to say, because of habitat destruction, we are starting to come in contact with animals that we never had contact before. And so we've kind of opened up Pandora's box. Scientists are saying that we are going to see more of these, I think they call them zoo, zoa, zoa, what is the word for animal born? Zoological. Zoological diseases happening. And MERS. You just start to, if you look at it, you can start seeing a pattern that there's an uptick of this happening. So this is, and you know, we're, it's getting crowded. We're really definitely, you know, living in more crowded circumstances and situations. And so that's allows the disease to, to transmit faster. What do you think some of the, (laughs) what do you think some of the solutions could be reduction in consumption of animals? Reforestation. Yeah, I think reforestation's huge. This is a great moment for the environmental movement to really just batten down on this. The only way we are going to get people to care about the environment is to say it's going to affect them. (laughs) It's going to affect people. People don't give a rat's ass about a tree or an ecological, you know, ecosystem. They get care about their family. And so if you make it into an argument, we have to ban this rapid deforestation. Vandana Shiva has a great piece that I read at the early in the pandemic that explained how this bat, you know, was exposed, could be exposed to people. It wasn't just necessarily the wet market. It was habitat destruction, which then made it so these animals had nowhere else to go except to be around humans. So I think that's one way, you know, I think also universal mask wearing is just going to become a thing. My kid wears her mask, even when she doesn't have to, (laughs) you know, kid, the next generation, they're going to be used to it. They're going to think, oh, it's totally normal. Of course, we always wear a mask. Yeah. I, I was having the same thoughts this weekend, just thinking, you know, after this is all over, if I'm not feeling well, I'm going to wear a mask. Yeah. It really has... I think it's an idea whose time has come here in North America and it will be around post-pandemic. Yeah, totally. If you look at Asian countries, people are always wearing masks. I was actually watching Queer Eye and they go to Japan. This is before the pandemic. And then they're like, why is everyone wearing masks? And the lady explains, it's considered polite. We're really barbarians in North America. Thank you so much for your time, Novella. Thank you, David. This was a blast. An era of pandemies? Oh boy. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic and happy new year. Ready or not, 2021, here we come. Take off your mask and physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing the pandemic show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the front lines of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. No one is alone at the pandemic show. Vaccine. <laughs> vaccine. 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 Please stick us in both arms.